Imagining the scene between Jesus and, and Peter. It's a, a very poignant scene, and I would imagine that there's kind of a lot of silence here as Jesus is preparing breakfast, as they're having their breakfast, that no words are spoken. And then it says, when breakfast was over, Jesus proceeded to ask G- Peter that question, do you love me? Why was there so much silence? Why was there so much, you know, when they pulled in the net, they stood there and stared at Jesus. They said nobody questioned him or challenged him. They all knew it was Jesus. But there was just this great silence. There had been so much that had happened, so much that had happened, that they had spent three years living with Jesus and that he had taught them by word and deed and he had clearly loved them to the end, that he would die for them. And they all knew, too, that that they had all abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And only John made it to the foot of the cross. Peter knew that he had denied him three times. But that was better than the other apostles who had fled the Garden of Gethsemane and never even made it to the high priest's house. So there they are, just in utter silence. Guilty, but, but at the same time, knowing that they're not condemned because he's already appeared to them twice before, saying, peace be with you both times, and demonstrating his love for them. And so they're just awaiting what he has to say. They're awaiting with kind of this deep abiding love that comes from, say, a relationship that was loving, but it tore And then it's come back. And they're trying to heal it. Or at least the apostles are. Jesus is already, he's God. He's already, he's healed. He's sovereign. He's infinitely knowledgeable, loving, and and powerful. But they're trying to know in what way can we demonstrate our love for you. And so this is the context in which Jesus asked for this triple profession of love from Peter. Not from the others. He didn't ask Matthew and Simon and Jude and all the rest that ran away in the garden and hid out somewhere. Just Peter, the first pope. And Jesus has this triple profession of faith to repair the damage that had been done from the triple denial of knowing Jesus in the courtyard. Where Jesus, backing up a little further at the Last Supper, Peter says, Lord, I will die for you. I will die for you. I love you so much, I'll die for you. And Jesus says to Peter, before the cock crows thrice, you'll have denied me three times. And so this is repairing it. It's fixing the damage from that evil. And this is, in a bigger context, true of all of our sins. That all of our sins, as Jesus says, must be paid for to the last penny. That there must be reparation or repairing of all the evil that's ever taken place. And we will. We'll do that in this life by our love and our goodness in this life, repairing the damage of our sins, etc. And what's not finished in this life will be finished in purgation in the next life before the beatific vision. But here Jesus is repairing this, giving Peter an opportunity to repair. And within this context, he asks him about love. Now in English, as I've said before, there's only one word for love. But in Greek, I think there are seven different words for love. And Hebrew has multiple words for love, too, depending upon the context and the meaning. 
So in the first two uses of this word love, do you love me, do you love me, Jesus is, is using a Greek form of the word love that means like marital love. But in the last one, he uses a different word for a love, and this is the agape. This is, will you die for me? Will you annihilate yourself? Which is the highest form of love. And so this is the one that really hurts Peter. Because remember, Peter said, I will die for you. And then Peter said, I don't know who you are. So this last one, he switches it to agape. Will you die for me, love? And this is, Peter gets a chance to correct what he did. On that night, Jesus was arrested. And Peter is guilty as charged. He's got, what what can I say? All I can do for you now is to lay down my life for you. That's the only way I could prove to you the sincerity of my intention, the sincerity of my love. And so he says to Jesus, you're hurting me. You're hurting me now. I've told you I'm sorry. I've told you I love you. Think of maybe a spouse who's cheated on you. And the incredible betrayal and pain that's happened there. And the spouse comes to realize the gravity of what they've done. And how much they love their spouse. And they're they're so sorry about it. And they come back to the spouse asking for forgiveness. And the spouse is holding it against them. And won't, won't let it go. And twists that knife into their side. So this is kind of how Peter feels. Although Jesus doesn't mean to twist the knife. He just needs to repair the damage. And he's, he's taking Peter to a deeper place. I'm reminded of, uh, of this adage. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. That's the case for a lot of people falling in love. They're falling in love and they're kind of, maybe they don't quite know that they're in love yet. And one of them goes on a trip for a couple of weeks. And during that time apart, they kind of both, or at least one of them, figures out, I really love this one. I don't want to lose this one. I'm going to go all and invest in this one. And then if by some big mistake, and a lot of us make big mistakes, we lost the one that we loved. And we realize, I blew it. I blew it. I would do almost anything to get them back. But I'm powerless to get them back. But I know now what I had. And I know that it was love. In William Shakespeare's story of Romeo and Juliet, you've got these two star-crossed lovers. And, and I forget which one takes the, this, this sleeping potion that mimics death and so they have no vital signs. I think it was Juliet who did it. Romeo finds Juliet. If, if I got the order wrong, you can tell me after Mass. Romeo finds Juliet and she seems dead to him and it's like, I can't live without her. She was my all. And then Romeo commits suicide. Juliet wakes up from her potion discovers that Romeo's dead. She can't live without Romeo, so she commits suicide. It's this kind of Love that you can't live without the other kind of thing. And this is where Peter is going. I can't live without your love, Lord. Not only am I sorry for what I've done, and not only will I lay down my life for you, but I can no longer live without your love. And so then Jesus says these words about his sheep. He says, tend and feed. Then tend my sheep. Well, what is it to tend sheep? 
Well, children tend sheep. They tend sheep as you let them out of the kraal and they go to this pasture and the, the child kind of takes them over there. It could be an adult who takes them over there. And what are they doing? Well, tending is to make sure they get to a place that has food and then you uh, make sure that no wolves come or no thieves come and steal the sheep kind of thing. That's tending. And you could be hired to do that. I'll give you five cents an hour to tend sheep. You have no love whatsoever for the sheep. Or maybe you do, but just because you like sheep, I don't know. But you've got nothing invested in the sheep other than your wages. What about feed my sheep? Well, feeding sheep is easy enough in the summer or the spring when there's lots of food, but what about the winter? And the grass is dried up and gone. Maybe even your snowfall. And you've got to feed the sheep, which meant that during the summer, you had to bring in a harvest of grass or grains or whatever it was and store them in a barn so they wouldn't get wet and be dry and you could feed the sheep throughout the winter. So that investment is much, much greater, much, much greater than just tending sheep. So Jesus is amping it up, tend, feed. Next Sunday will be Good Shepherd Sunday, and the, good, the story of the Good Shepherd is that the Good Shepherd goes in search of the one lost sheep. A herd of a hundred sheep will leave the 99 looking for the one, risking the 99 for predators and thieves and wandering off and getting lost to find the one. So this is the purpose of this. Jesus saying, Peter, if you love me, then serve my church. Then serve my church. Strengthen your brothers is something he says in another place to Peter. Strengthen your brothers, the apostles. Strengthen them. And then tend and feed and ultimately find my sheep, the church. If you love me, Peter, you will love me in the church. You will demonstrate your love for me by serving the church. And if you don't, then I guess you don't love me. So often we think in our minds that, well, I love Jesus, but it's between Jesus and I. I have no responsibility to his church. I don't need to volunteer for anything. I don't need to put in any time. I don't need to invest anything. I don't need to make any commitments whatsoever. But Jesus is saying here to Peter, if you love me, you will. And by extension, he's saying the same thing to all of us. If we really love Jesus, then we will tend, feed, and find the church within the church. So this, Peter will eventually demonstrate his love. He will die a martyr. He will be crucified upside down for love of Jesus. And he would do it right then and there on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, if he could. But it's not yet. He's got 30 to 50 years to go. Then Jesus will cash that check. Then Jesus will accept that final ultimate expression of Peter's love for him by laying down his life. But not yet. For the next 30 to 50 years, Peter is to demonstrate day in and day out his love for the Lord by serving his church. And not in a hidden way, in kind of the toughest way, being a leader, a governor of the church, where you get to, your, your faults and failings get to be on public display for everyone, unlike the others who can just go home and, 
and hide their faults and failings. Being a shepherd, it's right out there for all to see. And Peter will be corrected. In Galatians, Paul will correct him. Peter's not perfect. He remains a fallen man. But he has to try and to never give up. And in trying and never giving up, he's demonstrating his love. A love that he knows now what it is. I finished with this thought. I was, uh, I was reading letters. I was reading letters of soldiers in World War I. And they were writing back to their loved ones. And usually the soldiers were young. You know, they were drafted at 18 or whatever it was. And they're usually between, say, 19 and 25 in the trenches kind of thing. Most of them were not married. They might have had a girlfriend back at home or whatever it was. But there was this one, this soldier was writing to this girl back home. And I don't even know that she was his girlfriend at the time he left for the trenches. But in there he said, I know what it is to love now. I know what it is to love. There amidst the misery of the trenches and whatever that was, he could look back on her and think, I know what it is to give my life. I know what it is to love. Jesus has given his life and so much more. He found me and he found you. And he does more than ten. He provides, he feeds, he protects. And he will until the end of time. Until the new heavens and the new earth. And I have found him the pearl of great price. And so did Peter. And I hope that you find him. And in finding him, you will love him. And in loving him, you will serve him in his church. And then one day, he'll call us all home. He'll call us all home where there never will be separation again. And there will be love at a profound, everlasting level. But until then, we've got a job to do, whether it's five years or 30 or 50. And that's to love him in his church by serving him in his church. And when we do that and our day comes and we die and we stand before him, he will say, welcome home to the kingdom that I prepared for you from the foundation of the world.